Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Search for Growth. And this week, we're going to break down some of the insights from Daniel Kahneman's book, Thinking Fast and Slow. Last week, we did an episode really focusing around the framing effect and the framing illusion and how that plays into sales, marketing, entrepreneurship. And in this week, we're going to be delving into another aspect, which is called the remembering self. Let's get straight into it, Chris. Do you want to maybe start with a high level as to what this concept is? We'll start with that and then we can dive into actually maybe what are some of the practical applications or ways from understanding this heuristic. Yeah, Daniel Kahneman has a lot of good stuff in his book, so glad we're doing more episodes on it. The remembering self, what is it? We have two different selves. We have the remembering self and the experiencing self. So the experiencing self is like you are doing something and when you are doing it, that is your experiencing self. The fact though, is that most of the time that we think about things, it's a remembering self. We like remember taking out the trash. We remember the wedding. We remember going on that hike. The amount of time that you actually spend in your experiencing self is very small. And so a lot of our cognitive processes are actually based not on how we experience the event in real time, but how we remember it later on down the road, a week, a month, et cetera. And, and sometimes there's a significant difference, actually, in terms of how you remember something versus how you actually experience it. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So I think maybe like to give a specific example, like you said, at a high level, it's the difference between one's experience with a situation and one's memory of that. And if we're making our decisions based off of the memory of the situation, it may not be super logical, but it's important to be aware of how we make these decisions so that we can adjust how we speak to customers, how we present our product, how we interact with one another. So maybe to give an example from the book before we go into like applications, they did an experiment effectively where they recorded the level of pain patients were experiencing every 60 seconds when they were given injections. And they were saying, okay, you're going to have one person is going to have a bunch of injections over a 10 minute period of time. And then the other person is going to have a bunch of injections over a longer period of time. Or it was either injections, or I think they did the cold hand, actually. It was, they were inflicting some sort of pain, right? And in the first group, where it was a shorter period of time, that first group actually finished the experiment at kind of peak pain. Whereas the second group, which lasted twice as long, in the second half, they actually reduced the level of pain. So the last thing they remember was a lower pain experience. And they basically, at the end of the experiment, they asked people to rate the pain throughout and then rate the pain at the end. And the people in the second group who it was longer, and so in theory, they experienced more pain, their memory of the pain was actually a lot lower because it finished on a lower pain threshold. And so that was an example where they figured out, okay, we're not judging the overall pain based on reality or our experience because this person had double the amount it's on something else and they came away with two observations we alluded to it earlier it was the peak and end rule and then the duration neglect so do you want to explain what the peak and end rule observation was yeah when we think about an experience there are two important parts of that experience one is the peaks and the troughs. So rather than like the average pain level in that experience, what are the most pain that you feel and the least pain that you feel? I think about this in terms of my hike when I know those peak traumatic moments, like seeing an avalanche, like 
lightning storms, etc. And those experiences were, were actually very small in the context of the entire hike, but they are like magnified in my remembering of the entire hike because of how significant they were. And the second is the end, like how do you end a situation? And I think this is really important with any activity that you end it on a high note so that in the future, you can remember that situation way more positive than potentially it was. It, it could have been a poor situation in while you were in the midst of it, but if you ended on a slightly high note, you're going to remember it a lot more positively than if you end it not on a high note. <laughs> yeah, like maybe like your someone's marriage, maybe there's a few really big arguments and at the end, your partner cheats on you and you have this horrendous breakup, you might cast a negative light on the whole marriage, which lasted 10 years, when in actual fact, maybe you had 99% of that marriage was complete bliss and happy. But because of the kind of worst moment and the last moment, your experience, your, mem your memory of that man marriage is basically tarnished. It's a bit like you listen to a beautiful song and the record is scratched at the end. It's like, oh, that, that ruined the whole song for me. So that's the, the takeaway from or the example that they had in this experiment. And then the, there was duration neglect was the second one. And the second one was a duration neglect. And basically duration neglect was the concept that we don't really care about how long an experience, positive or negative, is really lasting. In the example I gave earlier, it was 10 minutes and 20 minutes. Like any logical, rational person would choose to have pain for 10 minutes instead of 20 minutes. But it wasn't, the duration was not the major factor. Maybe going directly now into some practical applications of this i think of this in terms of service the support and looking after customers like every company every software company is going to experience bugs and so customers are it's inevitable that you can't mitigate all the bugs that they're going to happen and in terms of duration it's not necessarily the frequency of bugs that happen it's actually you want to based on this peak and end rule and the duration neglect the better way to approach it was to be like okay let's minimize the worst case scenario of a bug, damage limitation. So the memory of the trough is not as low. And let's forget as much about trying to mitigate the presence of bugs at all. So it's more important to show to your customers that you manage things, these bad situations well, than you try to just completely avoid them. Yeah. And that's one on that kind of note. like specific example. Ending on that high note, like the bug might happen, but if you're able to still give them an amazing experience and they feel super satisfied and they feel like you've listened to them and they've got what they needed, that is way more impactful than any bug that they hit. Yeah, totally. So there's, there's a few things that really struck me with this from the peak and end rule. Doing a demonstration, like there's so many gurus in sales and marketing and they have all these kind of, you must do it like this. You must write an email that is the same size as like your mobile phone because X number of emails I've received on the phone. And I'm like, it makes like logical sense maybe, but again, people aren't necessarily logical. So it doesn't necessarily apply. And one of these pieces of advice is that a demo should be the shortest period of time. It should be under 30 minutes and blah, 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 blah. And Actually, it's just not true. And this, I've experienced this firsthand. What's more important is that you go through the relevant steps and milestones, and then you create this right experience. So if we look at the peak and end rule, some things that you want to do is don't worry about the duration, but just worry that you've hit certain peaks in, in the demo, right? You've presented certain aha moments and you've really made a deal out of that or told it in a story, or you've highlighted that in a way which they're going to remember it. 
even simple things like if you're recording a call there's tools like gong or chorus or grain or whatever you can make these little snippets of these moments of their reactions generally something like whoa that's cool snippet that and then in your email afterwards you send it to them because these are like the peak moments and if you can install memories of those then they're going to have their remembering self is going to forget all the stuff that the objections that maybe they were talking about earlier on and then totally. the last one thing i when you think about demos you're talking about those peaks. I think as a technical founder, I, and we've talked about this where I just wanted to show every little thing in a demo. And I knew that I needed to hit like the most important things first, but this peak and end rule where maybe going over those long tail things that are not as groundbreaking at the end of a demo are not, is not a great end to a demo because it leaves no. them less positive than if you ended on a aha moment or magic moment. Exactly. So what's a way that you can have a magic moment at the end of a demo? There's a question I love asking and it is word for word is, so I work at Spendesk, right? So I'd use Spendesk as an example. Now that you've seen a demo of Spendesk, how would you describe this to Sally, your CFO, who's maybe never heard of us before or even heard of what spend management is? And then pause. And in that, what happens in that moment is a few things that's really powerful. First, they start selling your product to you, which psychologically is really interesting because they are, they are doing their job, they're solidifying their understanding of what they've just experienced throughout that demo. And so that means that they're going to remember it more because it's coming out of their mouth. That they, if they have to act something, it's not this passive. It's like when you read a book, if you just read a book, you'll forget it. But if you read a book and then you have to answer questions on it, you'll remember that. And that's how a good revision technique, it's the same thing. And then also as a salesperson, you can then understand, well, what was their comprehension? Was it good? Are they going to, how are they going to sell this internally? Actually? Yeah, you said that, but actually it's not quite right. Maybe you should reframe it. Right. But ultimately this is great because it, it leaves that like last magic moment and the last install memory in that demo where then they're going to then take that off and they're going to use that same script to, to t talk about your product internally. So that's how I think of your peak and end in the context of like a demonstration. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The duration is important. What you said that earlier that you shouldn't try to make it as short as possible. There is something to be said about using this to shorten your demos and like really just care way more about those peaks because it's a waste of time for everybody. If demos don't need to be an hour long yeah. for most products, they can be 20 minutes. I think the, th the thing about length is so interesting because it comes up in copywriting, it comes up in cold emailing, demos, presentations, podcasts, like whatever it is, like people, what's the right length? And uh, I can't remember the exact quote. I really have to, I've tried to find it multiple times. I can't, but it was a great copywriter who effectively said, you need to say everything that you need to get your point across and not a word more. And if it takes you a page to, to get that point across, then it, then that's the right length. But if you've written two pages when it could have been one, then it's too long. And so I think you're spot on in saying that yes, length and like brevity is important, but it's only it, not at the expense of like clarity or in, in this context, not at the expense of peak and end magical moments. Yeah. I think people focus on length because it's something that is easily quantifiable. 
oh, I've written X number of words, therefore it must be better than I have had written some other length of words. Oh, my episode is this long and optimal length is this long. Doing something that I can control to improve my metrics, even if the content might be bad or <laughs> there's probably a host of other things that are way more important than hitting those length goals. There, there was something that it didn't, he didn't really talk about in the book, in this section, which mm. I think was a bit of a missed opportunity. But the key takeaway for me is what you need to focus on is someone's memory, someone's memory of a, an experience. And but he didn't really talk about all the other things that actually impact someone's memory other than this peak and end like rule. And I'll give you an example. We tend to evaluate things with heuristics, right? So things like social proof. If, uh, if other people say something is good, we're more likely to think it's good, even if our own experience was bad. And there's been experiments where like you go out, let's say you go on a night out and you have a really bad experience for whatever reason. I don't know, you got too drunk or you had an argument with your friend, but all your friends were saying yeah, it was the best night in my life you're more likely to be influenced by that and say, actually, yeah, it was a really good night, even though your personal experience wasn't as good. And so there's lots of things, I think, in that example is really focused on how can you influence the memory of something? We're going to this other example I've got in here about the product experience. A lot of products now are trying to get the full sales funnel done through the product. So you acquire a customer, they go into your product, they self-serve, they self-upgrade, they expand and they convert without necessarily human touch. So when from your, you know, you've built products yourself, right? So from a product perspective is how could you create those memorable moments of positive things within the product themselves? What's the aha moment that someone has in your product? And are you emphasizing the actual aha moment enough? Someone's matched a candidate on a recruiting platform. Are there, is there confetti going bang and way you've done this? Or I've seen things, Zapier does this where I don't know if you've used Zapier much, but they have like a summary that you see in an email or on the actual platform of all the time that you've saved from the zaps that you've made. They've done some ROI calculation. They've mm. said this month you've done a thousand zaps and you saved 10,000 minutes of unnecessary time. And what that's doing is <clears throat> reinstalling my memory of a positive thing. And I'm not remembering all those times I wasn't able to create the zap because it was really frustrating and didn't like work and it was buggy and things like that. As a product guy, like, how would you think about creating these memorable moments within your product, what would be the opportunities? Yeah, I think uh, things that are surprising in a good way, anything that has some emotion associated with it. If we can, if you can get emotion from some software, emotion is going to actually ingrain the memory in you a lot more than if you just look at a spreadsheet and do some numbers. Emotion comes from story. If there's something that you're used to be doing and something else saves you an hour and you're totally surprised and you feel relief because that hour is such a wasted hour of your day, like that emotion is what, what triggers you to remember and to have a positive experience with the product. So true. Because they, they talk about this is again, in from like a sales perspective, like a persuasion perspective, you're trying to understand and trigger, like what are the emotions? So when you're talking through what someone, what problem did they have? If you can get them to talk about their feelings about it, it's a lot easier for them to propel themselves into that situation. It's a lot more visceral, isn't it? Yeah. People, it's a bit like, go on. People care a lot more. 
people like to say that they're pretty logical and make reasoned decisions. But if you actually look at the science, like so much of what we do is just based on emotion. When I'm, I used to smoke. And when I was in a university, my Muay Thai boxing coach, he also was a practitioner NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. And uh, we did a session, maybe it was like 10 minutes max, just out on the bench outside the gym. And it was really interesting because in a nutshell, have you ever done it before, NLP? Yeah. No. So it, it, I was like, this is bullshit. But <laughs> I literally, after it, I did not want to smoke one cigarette. I didn't feel like a smoker. My whole mm. like, psychology around it had changed. And I think you need to continue doing it. I think after a month or two months, the effect wears off and you need to reinstall it. But it was crazy. And basically what he did in this 10 minutes was first get you into a more suggestive state, a bit more meditative, present and mindful. And ultimately all he did was, from what I can remember, this was like 10 years ago, it was going, painting a picture of like me being in a theater and there's like a movie screen in front. And he's creating this visual contrast between the before and the after. So he'll talk about, mm. he'll create this image of firstly, like what I want to be like. So he's like, okay, so you have to have a goal, like why you want to quit smoking, mm. paint the life that you want to live. What would that look like? And at the time like, I wanted to compete and I wanted to have like super good cardio and, and et cetera, et cetera. So he was like, okay, so imagine yourself, you're in the ring, you're doing pad work and you're slamming 50 kicks, bang. And you're just, you've got air in your lungs and you're just on form and you're really painting this. And in, in a very visual way, like describing things very early. And then in contrast, he would then go in between this like picture. And in the other picture, he would go to the other one. And he was like, okay, so now let's start imagining that the screen is starting to go gray. And then from the bottom up, it's starting to smolder and you're smelling the smoke and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like creating this really nasty image of like tar and smoke and bad lungs and all this sort of stuff. And then after playing with these kind of contrasted before and after images, you have to have, I don't know what he used it as an, I don't know what he called it, but a thing, a trigger thing. Some people, it might be like That's a scientific term, the trigger thing, <laughs> the trigger thing. Yeah, exactly. My degree in cognitive science there <laughs> speaking to like a cognitive science guy. So my trigger thing was, it was like, just make something up. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to squeeze my thumb and my middle finger. And so Every time I would go to this vision of myself, like kicking the pads or competing and just being at like full blast with full oxygen and everything else, I'd squeeze my finger. He did this over the course of 10 minutes, pretty much the same thing, doing the contrast and creating yeah. this connection. And the point was basically every time that you wanted to have a cigarette, you've squeezed your fingers and then it psychologically you've made that association with this image of what you want to be like and then you feel that and you, mm. then you feel like oh, i am a professional fighter i don't smoke this is what this moment right now where i'd like a cigarette that is absolutely not worth the the pleasure moment i'm going to get from the next 60 seconds of smoking and it, I honestly, I thought it was absolute bullshit and I didn't smoke a cigarette, didn't want a cigarette, even mm. when completely drunk on a night out, which is like the real test. And I just completely stopped smoking for one to three months. How is this all relevant? I think to your point, it's about this emotion, right? And we want to draw these contrasts between what's happening when something is going wrong. What does that look like? What does it feel like? You want to, if you're going to remember these peak moments on the negative, if you want to avoid that in your demos, you want to make that really memorable for their current situation, right? So try and build that picture and then create those, those, those contrasts. And I guess that's the kind of um, the connection I make when I think of emotive recall. Yeah. So the point is focus on the troughs, 
and the peaks, focus on the end state. And that's the most important thing. It's not the duration of the event. It's not the average feeling of a demo. It's those peaks and troughs. I think before we close up, is there anything else that you want to uh, chat about on this topic? No, I think the, on the flip side, we're, trying to, we're talking in a little bit about how we're manipulating this heuristic for the benefit of sales and marketing. But on the flip side, on a personal note, if you actually want to remember actual facts and experiences, the best way to do that is to journal regularly because you're going to recount your actual experience rather than your remembered experience. And then go back and look at your journals over time. If you want an accurate evaluation of whether your life was good or not, when you're on your deathbed, <laughs> you can read your journals and don't rely on your memory. Nice. Yeah. Life advice from Alfie. I like to journal. I've been journaling a bunch this year and I've, I have had a habit of it previously, but this year I got back into it and it's great. I haven't really gone back to my journals though, other than my hiking ones. Did you journal regularly when you were hiking, when you were doing your yeah. through hike? Yeah. And I typed up my AT ones so I can search them and stuff. And it was a fascinating experience to go back and when I typed them up to see what I actually experienced, but you forget so much. Did you notice that different? Like how you remembered the hike compared to what you actually wrote down? And now I'm like trying to remember like how I experienced reading the journals again. So I, it's hard. I definitely noticed a difference and there was a lot that I didn't remember when I typed them up. But through hiking journals are also boring because you're just walking the whole time. So what did you do today? I walked more. Like I saw cool trees, I saw cool mountain, <laughs> but I, I walked. Anyway, if you want to find us, use our website, thesearchforgrowth.com. It has our LinkedIn's and newsletters. Alfie has a Rocket GTM and his consulting services. I have a newsletter called Content I Consumed. We have some interviews coming up and we're excited to have another pod in the books. If you have a feedback, shoot us an email at feedback oh, yeah. searchforgrowth.com. Yeah. Let us know if you enjoyed these, uh, these kind of like book reviews. I know one of the feedback might be a dodgy audio because I feel it cuts out and then I'm talking and we're both talking at the same time. So we'll see how the edit turns out. But that's, that's it for this episode. It's a nice, it's a short one. Thanks very much. And we'll see you next week with some founder interviews. Bye.